Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Baptism is seeing Jesus as the Son of God and believing that he is uh, who he is and that his death and resurrection truly saves. And we're looking forward to the two who are doing that today. Um, But the crowds in John 6 uh, saw Jesus and his miracles. They saw him. But the thing is, they did not believe. They saw Jesus multiply bread to feed thousands. Others heard of him turning water into fine wine. And they saw in Jesus one like Moses, which is great, who would provide daily bread. So they said to Jesus, um, John 6.30, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? It's not like he hasn't done the sign already, but what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And then they said to him, sir, give this bread always. Every day. Even the Samaritan woman saw and heard Jesus' claim to be the spring of water that could well up into eternal life. And then the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. They saw Jesus, but they didn't really believe in him. Was Jesus doing all these miracles to get them to believe what turned out to be a failure? A failure. But Jesus is absolutely confident that some will believe. He responds to the crowds. Chapter 635 that was just read. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He says, look at the miracles, not as a flexing of earthly power and status, but as good news of God's kingdom to earth as a grace. Jesus is absolutely confident in grace. There's four things that we learn about God's grace. God's covenant, God's will, God's possession, and God's way. First, let's go to God's covenant. You'll see it in verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. What that means is there's an arrangement, an arrangement, between God the Father and God the Son. Father gives some to the Son, and the Son never casts out. That's the arrangement. Scholars say that this arrangement has all the markings of a covenant. Now, thanks to JP for pointing this out last Sunday, and thanks to Tim Keller for other insights. A covenant has two parties. Uh, There's promises. Uh, There's conditions and rewards. And this covenant is prior, notice, is prior to Jesus coming down from heaven, verse 38. 
So what Jesus is doing is he's pulling back the curtain to the cosmos. In, in eternity past, to reveal the covenant arrangement within the three persons of the Godhead. The covenant is about redeeming a people that is yet to create. It's a covenant to redeem people who have yet to sin. You'll see it, Ephesians 1.4. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. They didn't even commit a sin. But the commitment, the covenant arrangement is before the foundation of the world that he's going to make them holy and blameless. Ephesians 3.1. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. That eternal purpose is not in the future. He's talking of a purpose in eternity past. A skeptic may question, then, then did God create evil? Is this all staged? And John shows absolute no embarrassment whatsoever, nor any desire to explain how God knew that man would deserve to be cast out as evil, and yet God the Father provides a son who will never cast a sinner who comes before him. To never cast out are two negatives that expresses a positive. To never cast out means welcome, keep in, no matter what happens. And Lisa and I decided um, to have kids, we knew that two sinners will produce a sinner. Super cute in our eyes, but sinners through and through. Every day they prove that point. But even them as sinners, we welcome them and keep them. They are ours. I will give up my life in an instant for them. Or... I'll give, give up my life energy over decades. By the time they go off to college, I will be well near retirement. My life energy completely drained. But for who? For who? Sinners through and through. You see, God's love and grace to sinners is measured over eternity. Not just into the future, but, but into eternity past. God's grace is deeper as he knew creation would cancel him soon after being created. That's grace. That's grace. Come on now. That's grace. See, that's grace for the person who has profound feelings of being not being loved. You feel, for whatever reason, unlovable. You feel cast out and distant from God, cast out from people. The Father's covenant with the Son is whoever comes to Him will never be cast out. You'll be welcomed, kept in. There could be many reasons for your feeling. Many true, some false. But no matter if it's true or false, what must we do? What must we do? 
Psalm 63 says, My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. So what must we do? Go and cling on to Jesus, and you will find that he, by the power of his right hand, welcomes you, keeps you in. See, that's the first thing that we got to learn of God's grace. we got to go to the second one, God's will. We learn of God's will, of God's grace is God's will. You'll see it in verse 38. For I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. The son submits his own will to the father's will. (laughs) A parent would give up half their kingdom if they heard their child say, you know what, forever I'm here not to do my own will, but to do the will of the father or mother. (laughs) I mean, tiger moms, you know you want to hear that. See, the father's will in the covenant of redemption meant that Jesus would be sent down from heaven to earth. And that sending down it wasn't just a, a celebration of Christmas. Uh, there was no Christmas tree waiting for Jesus. That sending down included, as Philippians 2, 7 and 8 says, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, Jesus' submitting to the Father's will was to suffer, suffer. He emptied himself. His suffering includes a son taking the form of a servant. I would hate to see that if my son took the form of a slave. But he took the form of a servant, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient. Obedient to what? Servant to who? He obeyed as a servant to the Father's will to keep the covenant. Why? To suffer in order to save the lost. See, Jesus multiplying the bread and fish for the crowds was a reenactment of the manna bread that God gave through Moses. Jesus doing the amazing alchemy of turning water into wine was a reenactment of God turning poisonous water into drinkable water through Moses. So they're like, oh, oh you must, must be better than Moses. But see, don't you see, the son went a step further with his obedience. By drinking the wine cup of God's wrath that mankind was supposed to drink, Jeremiah 25, the Lord, the God of Israel, said to Jeremiah, take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. They shall drink and stagger and be crazed because of the sword that I'm sending among them. See, that's why Jesus in the garden, before heading to the cross, prayed, Matthew 26, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. See, his will is for him to suffer. And that suffering is not just suffering like you and me. That suffering was suffering the wrath of God on him. See, all, deser- all sinners deserve to drink the cup. But for those that the Father gives, Jesus submits to the Father's will and drinks it for them. See, that's God's grace. That's God's grace. Some may ask with some humility, what is God's will for me? 
What is God's will for my major? Some of you are going off to UC Irvine. There you go. What is my major? What is God's will for a job or a career path that I should take? What is God's will for my marriage? I prayed that in 1994. I found that in a journal this past week. Should have thrown that journal out in 1994. I got married in 2007. 15 plus years my parents prayed. Near the end, they were absolutely tired of praying that prayer. And all those requests to know God's will for my life. Yeah, sometimes they're legit. It's okay to ask God. But could those requests of knowing God's will for my life, could they not just be forms of asking Jesus to be that miracle worker, the revealer of secrets, show me the path, Show me the money, sir. Give us this bread always. But see, God's revealed will is always without fail. It's about his commands, his law, instructions on how we can be sanctified, made righteous, that only Jesus could accomplish and offers his righteousness as a great. I'm going to grace. I'm going to say that one more time. God's revealed will always ends up in God's grace. It's God's grace. He's already revealed it. And we have it in our lives. We don't have to ask for it. It's freely given. All made possible through Jesus. That's the second thing we learn of God's grace, to stir up our faith. Third thing we got to go to is God's possession. You'll see it in verse 39. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. The reward of God's covenant and God's will is the son will lose nothing. Uh, You see the two negatives of lose nothing means a positive. Jesus keeps. He possesses as his own all those that the father gives. Jesus is the covenant keeper in two ways. First, Jesus keeps or, pos- keeps or possesses believers. He is the shepherd of the sheep who would leave the 99 sheep on a hill to go after the one. He's a great shepherd. You'll see in Romans 8, 38, 39, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now the rationalist may think, Jesus will lose nothing and raise me up on the last day. So I can believe in Jesus and then do whatever I like to do with my life. So I can go back to living the way I want and I won't lose my place in line for heaven. I get eternal life. And Jesus says, well, you don't understand grace, the gift that I'm offering. There is, there is eternal life. When you die, your body will be resurrected later at the time of judgment when Jesus returns. But Jesus says grace is also eternal life in the body right now. In the Gospel of John, you'll see it. Eternal life begins when we believe in the Son, John three thirty six. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, 
but the wrath of God remains on him. John 5, 24, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed already from death to life. This is not just an end time thing, but mainly so much of what we think about God's grace is we get a ticket to heaven. But no, no, God's grace is for us by keeping us in that resurrection, eternal life in the now. See, this eternal life is a personal relationship with God the Father and God the Son. And eternal life is possessed in possessing the Son. First, First John 5, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. See, that's the first way that he offers us eternal life, not something that could be lost, but eternal life right now. Here's the second way Jesus loses nothing, but he keeps as his possession us who believe. Here's how. He keeps every condition of the covenant, and yet he dies as though he broke every bit of it. How does covenants work? And One day we'll get really into covenants. This is how covenants work. There's covenant conditions that if you keep it, you'll be blessed. If you break it, you'll be cursed. That's how all covenants work. Jesus kept every condition, every law, blessed. But then he dies as though that he broke every bit of it. He's covered every possible angle on a covenant. Every possible possibility of the contract and arrangement and agreement. And because of that, God says, you've done it all. You've done it all. And the Father's promise then must be fulfilled. The reward has to be given, which is Jesus loses no one. No one. He possesses you. He's never going to let go. That's the extent of God's grace. That's the fourth thing that we learn. Here's the fourth thing that we learn. Here's God's way. You'll see it in verse 40. How do we get this grace? For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. While the Son honors the Father by submitting to the Father's will, notice this, as Jesus accomplishes everything that is necessary for the covenant to be fulfilled, the Father exalts the son and the father tells everybody else look at the son the crowds must look on the son and believe in his work for salvation look philippians 2 9 therefore god has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that jesus christ is lord to the glory of god the father See, what does this mean? This means that God's grace is for those who recognize Jesus as the Son of God. God's grace is for those who exalt Christ's work of gifting us eternal resurrection life. See, that means that God's grace is not for those who exalt themselves. It can't be. There's absolutely no possibility of having pride in getting God's grace. 
There's some of us here, and I used to think this, and this is why I got married so late in life. I still, at the age of 35, thought, I was God's gift to mankind. I actually thought that. I cannot believe that. I really can. I look back and say, how did I, I was so, like, 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 I was just a spiritual, like, triple threat. You know, uh, you know, I was a son of my father, right? My father is just, you know, smart, intellectual, you know, spiritual pastor. You know, I went to Central High School. That means nothing to you. <laughs> I went to Central High School, the second oldest high school in the country. I played volleyball. That meant something. You know, at age 37, God had to break me down. That, you know, before that, I don't, I don't know why I'm sharing this. I'm sharing the most, like, most intimate thing. <laughs> before, it, I used to, you know, be, go on dates, and when I said no to a, you know, female, no regrets. No regrets. I made the right decision. For something happens, clicks in. Age 37. I started to regret. <laughs> it's not age. Food's getting too old. <laughs> it wasn't just age. No, no. The gospel was kicking in. When grace becomes real, there is absolutely no place for self-exaltation. But we try so hard, right? Get the approval of man, self-achievement, get into the right schools, get the right status in work. We try so hard. We try so hard. We're so good. We're like, oh yeah, I have this contract with God. It's, if I can fulfill this, he's going to bless me. Get into this covenant situation. I follow after his will. There's the religious version of it. And, you know, as long, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. So he's got to bless me and he can't curse me. We, that's how we deal with God. We always deal with God that way. Why? Because that's, that's our human self. What is God's way? God the Father's way is to exalt the Son. Because when you exalt the Son, you recognize it is all by grace. And how do you get that grace? By faith. Look to Jesus. He will not cast you out because he was cast out into darkness. The one who loses nothing lost everything, heaven and life itself. Would you look to him? As certain as he was raised to become Lord, you can be certain that he will raise you up. Believe in him. When you look to the Son, Isaiah 49:10 says, those who look to him, those who look to him, shall not hunger or thirst. Neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them. For he who has pity on them will lead them, and by springs of water will guide them. Let us eat bread that satisfies hunger, drink to satisfy thirst, by believing in God's grace in the Son. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you now take your grace and firmly seed it in those who never place their trust in you, that it is all by grace, and for those of us who have been churched way too long, would you help us to grow in grace, to come to him, to trust in him, to be secure in him, to be once again loved by him. 
And Father, would you do that for these two who are about to come before you to publicly confess their faith in you, Jesus. In your name we pray.